the key for AI ethics and fairness is really making sure that you realize it's not just a off the shelf solution that can apply to your challenges. You know, what if you're in Latin America and most of your faces aren't completely white, then would you want to apply that system here? How can you know what it's been trained with and how and what monitoring systems would you have to have in place to make sure that it's functioning as you want it to be functioning? Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the chief information officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work from anywhere, mobile and cloud-based world? Welcome to the second episode of CI Evolution, hosted by me, Rohit Adlaka, advisor to Zscaler. And we have a very interesting uh, topic this time. You know, we're breaking away from cybersecurity to address artificial intelligence and fairness, including diversity and inclusion. So fasten your seatbelts. And to begin with, let me introduce C-Mines. Uh, C-Mines is a women-led action tank that works at the intersection of uh, digitalization, new technologies, and society with a very strong focus on Latin America. And C-Mines uh, achieves this by designing public policies, deploying pioneer initiatives that harness AI, and of course, to lead what we call the SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals. Please uh, join me in welcoming uh, Claudia, a very special guest. And uh, we'll have a tete-a-tete about future-proofing individuals against accelerated change caused by AI, and how do we ensure fair, explainable, transparent, and humane outcomes. So without further ado, a big warm welcome to Claudia. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here talking about the, the different ways that AI can make a visible impact in the world. Thanks again, Claudia. And, uh, you know, to get your view, uh, what are the advancements in AI that you're seeing that are making visible impacts or transformations in the world? And uh, if you can also in the same breath, talk a little bit about yourself, your organization, and how it's aligning with the global objectives of AI. Thank you so much, Rohit. So as you mentioned, I'm Claudia Del Pozo, director of the Eon Resilience Lab at Seaminds. And Seaminds is a Mexican uh, think and do tank that seeks to promote the ethical and responsible use of artificial intelligence in the region. And one of our main objectives is also to make sure that the region is included in international conversations that have to do with AI and emerging technologies and are going to shape our future. We want to make sure that any kind of decisions or guidelines that are created will have a positive impact here in Latin America. And what might that positive impact look like? Uh, for us, it would be reducing inequality, increasing quality of life, promoting equal opportunities for a fulfilling life for everyone everywhere in the region. And in terms of the advancements that AI is making, so AI is obviously very used kind of in the corporate uh, sector, but we're also seeing more and more AI for impact companies that are using AI more broadly and across the world, you know, for topics like health, education, but there are also some really interesting ones in more niche areas uh, that, that have to do with the specific challenges of Latin America. So it's very interesting to see uh, what's happening over here and how 
how people over here are using AI to solve the challenges that they know all too well. Great start, Claudia. But I personally am very curious to know how is Latin America as a geography? I know there are multiple countries. How are they responding in comparison to perhaps rest of the world where AI has germinated, bloomed, and uh, in a full-blown transformation mode? So your views, which are very, very region-specific, please. So Latin America in this conversation is usually kind of left on the side, right? We're kind of the rest of the world. If we're lucky, we get a panel in, a, in an event. So, so it's not the most visible place when it comes to what's going on in AI, but it is a very interesting place to be, to be promoting initiatives and to see what else is happening. So Latin America as a region has a very specific culture that's very good with soft skills. Um, there's a huge entrepreneurial mindset here that I haven't seen so much in other places. This mindset of saying, okay, well, this is a problem. And instead of kind of waiting for the government to respond, saying, well, let's see how I can solve it. So there's a lot of uh, small and medium companies, a lot of startups in the region that are using AI for, for different topics. One, so, so that's more from an industry perspective. One of the challenges maybe that the region faces when it comes to AI and really having an AI strategy, an AI agenda, investing in the topic is maybe the um, volatility of government priorities, uh, where from one government to the next, priorities regarding digitalization, new technologies like AI can change. And that's something that we're experimenting right now in Mexico. So that can be a big challenge, but as I said, the, the ecosystem as a whole is very dynamic, very motivated. So we, we continue to move forward despite you know, some, some changes that may affect the speed at which we might want to be moving. Uh, shifting gears, uh, Claudia, if that's okay, from Latin America to the whole canvas, which is the world that we live in. What's been your experience of how society is responding at large? And especially, you know, with both the private and public sectors, how do you think their contributions have been? Right. So when we look at society at large, I think what one of the key differences between Latin America and regions like the, the European Union, maybe the US, maybe Canada, is that there's a bigger awareness in those regions of what it means to be using AI and um, to a certain extent what ethical challenges it poses which in turn creates a demand for ethical, responsible, humane AI solutions. Here in Latin America, we, don't, we haven't really achieved that level of awareness yet. So, so I couldn't say that there's really that demand for ethical solutions. So society is more hearing about maybe the downsides of AI, probably correlating it more with future of work topics and losing jobs really than, than than any concerns surrounding maybe privacy because it's the most common of the AI ethics pillars, but you know, transparency, explainability, accountability, all of those topics, they're not really in the public um, mindset right now here in Latin America. And in terms of collaboration between the private and public sector, that's something that uh, we as C-Minds have really been pushing. I think that the reality and the complexity of these topics can, can only be broached if we work together. Um, so I'd even throw in there, you know, private, public, academic, and um, the NGO, the, the civil society sector like C-Minds, how can we work together? And what we found is that having this 
kind of like coordinating element from the civil society sector, which you, you wouldn't see as having an agenda like the private or the public sector has been really helpful in harnessing and coordinating the ecosystem to work towards one goal. So here in Latin America, well, rather here in Mexico, I should say, because that's where we're based, uh, we've been working a lot with the different sectors to, to make sure that AI here in Mexico is going to be used in a way that has a positive impact. So we're kind of putting impact at the center of the strategies and the different agendas that we're creating. And that's something that I think is quite, is quite unique and, and can only be done really if you have this coordinating actor at the center. You know, on a lighter note, Claudia, humans created machines for their own uh, betterment of life. But there is a fear, there is a lack of control which is creeping in. And of course, you know, we've seen Terminator series and Doomsday. <laughs> but if you're familiar with the term singularity, when they say that machines will become smarter than humans, you know, that's at the back of everyone's mind. And that's what my next question is, you know, how do you make... Uh, machines scale to be a little more human centered? How do you feel that the entire adoption can be brought in with the ethos of fairness, diversity and inclusion as key pillars for the scalability? Right. Well, first, I'd like to talk about to give an example, a concrete example of what are the challenges we're facing, because when one talks about ethical AI, a lot of times um, what comes into people's mind is this idea that, well, if you use AI for good, that's good. And if you use it for something bad, that's bad. And they maybe identify the ethical questions as being, you know, should we use AI for warfare and, and similar topics? But really, it gets a lot more complicated than that, where you could try to be using AI for to have a positive impact. And it just kind of gets out of control, as you mentioned, Rohit. So I want to take the example of facial recognition technologies. You've probably heard um, that these technologies don't work very well if you're not a white man. Uh, if you're a white woman, they might work a little better, but not great. Uh, if you're African-American, then, you know, I think that that's where the technology definitely stops working. And what happens there, the reason, is that these systems have usually been trained with huge databases of white male faces because they're the ones that are most available. So then what happens? Then say that you as a government, for instance, decide to adopt this uh, to give people access to, to use really facial recognition as instead of a password, as a personal identifier to access, I, I don't know, different portals, um, different to, to be able to receive different uh, welfare payments. But let's take that example. Um, but what happens if you're not a white man, then the system might not recognize you just because it's not been trained to recognize different facial features and you might have a problem there. So you might say, okay, well then let's, let's get another database, but there's not necessarily really diverse facial databases. That's a challenge. So how can we make sure that these systems are inclusive starts with the question of data, who's generating this data, who's choosing what data to be put there, what what faces are more commonly available on the internet. And I think one way that think about this and try to sol not solve, but at least uh, contribute to solving this challenge is most of the times when you adopt a system, because honestly, most of the times, you know, clients will adopt it rather than develop it. What is, you should ask, what is the efficiency of the system? And if it's 95%, usually the idea is, oh, perfect. You know, it works in most cases, we're good. 
But I think the next step is saying, wait, okay, perfect. So 95% of the cases will be fine, but we need to develop a solution for the 5% of cases that we already know is not going to, that the system won't work for. So I think that's, that's one of the, the, definitely one of the big challenges that are going on. And, and this applies to also other sorts of AI technologies like language generators. Maybe you've heard about the new uh, GPT-3 by OpenAI language generator, which is absolutely amazing when it comes to its capacity to write things. It's very impressive. But again, where is that data coming from? How can we make sure that that data isn't biased? That's something that um, the, the academic Tibnit Gebru noticed in one of her papers. And there are different ways that we can approach this, kind of having uh, basic checks in place and, and making sure that you're constantly monitoring the system. I think the key for AI ethics and fairness is really making sure that you realize it's not just an off-the-shelf solution that can apply to your challenges. You know, what if you're in Latin America? and most of your faces aren't completely white, then would you want to apply that system here? How can you know what it's been trained with and how and what monitoring systems would you have to have in place to make sure that it's functioning as you want it to be functioning? Great points, Claudia. I think uh, one, of course, it's fundamental that when we train machines, when we train AI, they must be done with a diverse set of people who actually come in from different backgrounds, race, culture, ethnicity, gender. So the more broad-based you lead the training to be, the more uh, chances are that the bias won't be there. And you're right, you know, that 80-20 principle no longer works. You have to be 100-0 where it's applicable in a just and fair manner for everyone. And you talked about language. Uh, there are roughly 6,500 known languages across the world. But when you look at uh, language generators, language translators, they can just do a handful of maybe about 100 odd. So how do you take care of inclusivity of people who may not be that privileged? And how do you protect potentially endangered languages or people who may not come under the gambit of the 80% of the population? So I think that's going to be very critical. Jumping on to our next question, you know, leaders can make a difference. Uh, and since we talked about companies who can make an impact on society, what do you think leaders like CXOs, you know, the CEO downwards to the CHRO, to perhaps a CFO, the COO, critical people who are very, very focused on fortunes of the company. How do you think they can influence the employees and society at large? Great question, Rohit. And before answering that, I want to answer a question that we often get when we try to run programs or, or kind of accelerating accelerators for, for companies that use AI for their products and systems here in Latin America is why should I care? Why should I care that uh, my AI is being used ethically? You know, as long as it's being used legally, why would I want to go that extra mile? And I'll, I'll give you kind of just a, the gist of my answer for to, to, to the people who ask me that, to the companies that ask me that. Maybe you won't get into any per se legal problems with AI, with your use of AI, but what happens when um, your company is featured in the news for discriminating against certain communities, and that becomes a huge story. That's definitely going to affect uh, trust in your company. It might affect investment in your company. And in the long run, it can completely affect the sustainability of your company. So that's why you should care. I think 
definitely in countries where there's a demand for ethical, responsible, humane AI um, services, then it's something that will affect your, that, that, that you can call a competitive advantage that will make people more or less inclined to choose your service. But here in Latin America, where there's not that awareness, the, the reason you should care about AI ethics is the long run of your company. So now, now that we know why this matters, um, how can C-level executives kind of make a difference? So instead of giving you a broad answer, I want to talk about a very specific example that we had in one of our programs. So we're currently running a program called Open Loop Mexico, which is a policy prototype for more transparent and explainable AI, where we'll be handing over recommendations to the Mexican um, data and transparency regulators about how they can start uh, creating AI governance frameworks. And to create those recommendations, we're working with a handful of um, Mexican companies that use AI to try and see how how they feel about implementing this framework that we've drafted and, and we're putting out as a recommendation. What are the challenges? What does it mean for them? What do they need to change in order to adapt it and make sure that our recommendations really come from a, a, a co-design with the industry? And so working with these companies, we realized that a lot of times the, um, that obviously the, the CEOs were male and had more of an engineering background. And in other companies where they were really looking more more interested in depth in about what we were talking about and how to really go from talking about AI ethics to implementing it those companies were led by women here what was what was really interesting was there was this one company in the program that was having a hard time answering the technical questions that we were asking them to help them improve their solution in terms of ethics and linking them to the, these specific ethical questions. And the, these were all men who had studied, like I mentioned, uh, data science or engineering. And there was this woman who, would, who was always in the conversation but wouldn't really speak up. And she had studied um, psychology. And one day when, when no one was really being able to answer our question, she decided to speak up and she had absolutely all the answers. She completely understood how to bridge that those topics between the technical aspect and the ethical aspects. So that just really proved to us how important it is to have different perspectives at um, CXO level. And it was really interesting because recently we saw on LinkedIn that she was promoted to a CXO level, which we, we believe might have had something to do with our program. So how, how can you make sure from from the beginning that your solution, that, that you're asking the right questions and then that you can look and see if your solution is answering in the, in a, them in a way that you're comfortable with, is why not have a more diverse team in terms of academic backgrounds? And if you want to have you know, people who studied social sciences and humanities, those are usually women-led fields. So we can talk about you know, how to bring more women into um, tech fields, into tech studies, into computer science. But if you're a CXO right now, have you considered bringing on board someone from humanities, someone who studied psychology, uh, philosophy, um, language? And, and there's such a broad variety of degrees that I think suddenly have a new weight and a new level of value that we hadn't considered in the past. So that would be my question for CXOs. Fantastic, Claudia. As we are approaching the end of our conversation, any last words for our listeners? 
So yes, any, any last words to take away from here is I think that the main challenge that we have to address in AI ethics right now is creating more awareness about the topic. I can say here in Latin America, there's a lot of work to be done and we're, we're working on it. In the rest of the world, I'm sure there's also work to be done. You know, um, maybe, maybe AI ethics is a more broadly understood topic, but really how in-depth do you know it? How up-to-date are you with the conversations that are happening? How much do you know what's happening and how able are you to transform that into something that your company actually does? You know, let's not fall into the whole ethics washing conversation. And little by little, we're also seeing organizations publish guidelines and practical guides. Uh, hopefully we'll be publishing one from CMind soon on how to go from conversation to action with AI ethics, responsible AI and humane AI. I like mentioning those three because I think they have just slightly different connotations and they should all be a part of the conversation. So yeah, you know, as a, as a CXO, probably try keeping up with these conversations, um, making sure that your team is also keeping up with them because there's also this huge divide between, you know, the, the tech team and the CXOs, how, how in contact are they? Uh, how much information is being shared between them at a level of what we, sh you know, the company should be doing coming from the CXOs and what the company really is doing coming from the tech team. So I would really just encourage generally, um, you know, as a society, more conversations, but also within your company, bring in people to talk about AI ethics, um, see, see who in your company maybe already knows quite a lot about the topic and can spread it through the different um, levels and the different teams in the company. That would be my last words, Rohit. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Claudia. And a few last words from my side for the podcast. <laughs> you know, AI is extremely human-centric, whether you are a leader or you're an individual contributor. Articulate the problem that you're trying to solve. Identify potential bias. Look at your data, look at your AI models. Be extremely transparent in your approach and build a great governance process to make sure that it's broad-based and includes people. Thank you so much, Claudia Del Pozo from CMinds. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for tuning in and looking forward to hearing uh, from our next guest in the third episode hosted by me, Arohit Laka. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.